you'll remain standing, we're going to read some scripture. This is Acts chapter 13, verses 21 through 23. Uh, you can follow along as I uh, as I read. Uh, then the people asked for a king, the Israelites, and he, that being God, gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul, God made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. Let's ask God to bless our time together this morning. Father, we're so grateful for the privilege to be here today. Uh, Lord, we've just sung about um, heaven and seeing Jesus face to face. Lord, I pray that every person here knows without a shadow of a doubt that beyond this world, when you um, choose to call us home, that we will be in your presence. And Lord, that's uh, the main reason we're here, to, to worship you and to give you thanks for what you have done for us in sending your son Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. And so, Lord, we pray that you would um, bless us now as we look into your word, uh, open up our hearts to what you have for us today. Lord, thank you for the sunshine today. Thank you for the privilege of being here. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to jump into uh, God's word this morning, and uh, we finished the book of Joshua. And last week we looked at the book of Ecclesiastes, just in a little bit of an overview on our graduation Sunday, and uh, today we're going to start a, a new series. And, uh, you know, there's interesting different approaches to, to looking at God's Word. Uh, the one I'm most comfortable with is to land on a book of the Bible and then just go straight through, and that's what we did with the book of Joshua. Uh, there's other approaches that, uh, and, and these are fine, that take a topical approach. What does the Bible have to say about money? A lot. What does the Bible have to say about marriage? A lot. What does the Bible have to say about parenting? A lot. And you can do a topical series on those. But another way to study scripture, and this is where we're going this morning, is to do a biographical study. In other words, one of the, look at one of the characters of the Bible and to study their life the ups, the downs, the good, the bad, and then hopefully uh, there's some benefit there. Number one, we can learn from their mistakes. And as you see on the screen, we're going to look at the life of David and just an introductory message this morning and uh, uh, to, to study his life and to see how David went from an anonymous shepherd boy to the king of Israel. I think another benefit of, of studying um, a biographical study of a Bible character is the fact that we can then identify with them. Sometimes we have the tendency to put Bible characters up on a pedestal, and uh, the James reminds us in the book of James when he's writing about Elijah, he says, Elijah was a man just like us. And we see that in Elijah's life. He's... Uh, on Mount Carmel and has this tremendous uh, victory experience on Mount Carmel. And then uh, two days later, he's uh, he's discouraged, he's depressed. 
To be honest, he's suicidal. And so we're going to look at, at the life of, of David and, uh, it'll be, I think, um, an interesting study for us. I discovered that more has been written in the Bible about David than any other character other than Jesus. When we look at the Old Testament, there's 14 chapters on Abraham. There's 14 chapters on Joseph, 11 on Jacob, 10 on Elijah. There are 66 chapters in the Bible on the life of David. And he's referred to 59 times in the New Testament. And so David is a key, central uh, figure um, in, in Scripture. And quite frankly, as we'll see as we progress through this study, um, there are times where David's life reads like a soap opera. I mean, it, it, it just gets um, very complicated. Uh, the illustration uh, that I've probably shared before, but I think it fits here, a fellow by the name of Oliver Cromwell. He was an English statesman in the 17th century. And uh, a fellow was appointed to paint his portrait. Sir Peter Lilly was commissioned to do that. And uh, this is what Oliver Cromwell told uh, Sir Lilly before he painted his portrait. Cromwell was not the best-looking fellow in the world. He said, I desire you would use all your skill to paint my picture truly like me and not flatter me at all, but include everything roughness, pimples, everything you see, warts and all. Otherwise, I will never pay a farthing for it. (laughs) So Oliver Cromwell says, I want you to paint exactly what I see or what you see. And today, of course, we have uh, all sorts of technology to uh, make us look good in pictures, don't we? We've got filters and airbrushes because we want to look good. We're going to see David, uh, basically warts and all. And how would you like it if your entire life was uh, written out in a book for everybody to read? <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's uh, that's what we're going to see with, uh, with David this morning. So here's how we're going to approach this. And I just kind of thought about um, getting to know David and being introduced to David. And most of us are familiar with David, but... When we meet someone, when I meet someone, I really want to get to know them. I will go down the pathway of about five questions. The first thing you want to know is somebody that you've never met before is you want to know their name. Uh, you might like to know where they're from. Where, where do you live? Uh, you also, if you really want to kind of get to know them a little better, well, tell me about your family. You're married, uh, single, you have any children, you have grandchildren, want to know about their family. Uh, fourthly, uh, if we continue with that conversation, um, well, what do you do for a living? You stay-at-home mom, you um, work for a corporation, uh, we want to know about their occupation. And then lastly, if you really want to get to know someone, you want to know, well, what are some of your interests and hobbies? Uh, if you were to ask that of me, I, I, I enjoy sports. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, so I still follow all the Cleveland sports teams, and uh, that hasn't gone too well over the years, but uh, I, I still in, enjoy it. If you get to know my wife, she loves crafts, and uh, she's got 
uh, whole craft room, and that's what she does all summer at Maranatha, crafts for dozens and dozens of people and kids, and she enjoys it. So we're going to take those same five questions and ask them about David, and that'll kind of be our, our introduction to to get to know him a little bit, and for some of us, this will be a lot of a reminder and review. So let's think about David's name. Uh, David's name, the meaning of David's name is beloved. So if you have a family member or know somebody who's named David, some of you do, the word literally means loved, beloved. David was loved by his family. All those we're going to see, he had a lot of a lot of issues in his own family. David was loved by the nation of Israel. He was the king for 40 years. Before he became king, uh, David was a mighty warrior, and um, one day as he was coming back from one of his battles, all the women of Israel were singing this song, and it was like, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. He was a mighty warrior. He was loved by the nation. And that song actually fueled King Saul's jealousy of David. He was loved by God. The only person in Scripture where we read that David was a man after God's own heart. It's found there twice. And he was deeply and greatly loved by God. So David, the name means beloved. Uh, David, where are you from? Well, his hometown is Bethlehem. A, a very, uh, for us, familiar place in Scripture. Located five miles southwest of Jerusalem was a very, very small town. In fact, if it wasn't for Scripture, if it wasn't for the Bible, most of us probably would never have heard of Bethlehem. But David was from the town of Bethlehem. It became known as the birthplace of King David. Remember the angelic announcement to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 when, when Jesus was born and here are the shepherds out in the field and all of a sudden the shepherds are the angels appear. What's their message? Today in the town of David, a savior has been born. Today in, in, in Bethlehem, it became known as the town of David. Just like, uh, today maybe, uh, Plains, Georgia. Nobody ever heard of Plains, Georgia until President Carter became president. And he came from this little town of about 500 people. And now if you say Plains, Georgia, everybody thinks, well, that's where Jimmy Carter, our president, was born. Well, his hometown is Bethlehem. And I just want to trace for just a little while uh, the significance of his hometown. The name Bethlehem means house of bread. One of the reasons I know that is because uh, my dad uh, pastored a church in Cleveland, Ohio for 18 years, and the name of that church was Bethlehem Baptist Church. And so I learned early on that the name Bethlehem means house of bread. And maybe it refers to the agriculture in that area, probably an agrarian area culture, but Bethlehem means house of bread, and here's the significant role it played in Scripture, and we're familiar with most of this. Uh, it starts out in the book in the book of Ruth. 
Remember the story of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz? That all took place in and around Bethlehem. First uh, Samuel 16, uh, and we're going to look at that in just a little bit as we're introduced to David's family in First Samuel 16. Um, we read this, God's telling Samuel, I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. So David's father was Jesse, and David was from Bethlehem. And of course, we know the well-known prophecy in Scripture from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Micah said, But, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the cities and clans of Judah, out of you will arise, what, the Messiah from the little town of Bethlehem. And so David's name means beloved. Where's he from? He's from this uh, little town that's uh, near Jerusalem called Bethlehem. Now let's think about David's family. And uh, 1 Samuel 16 is uh, where we will go here just as a way of introduction here. But David comes from a large family. Um, <clears throat> very rare to find large families today. We were talking to our daughter-in-law about a week ago, and she was telling us about a family that she knew somewhere in this area. She told me they had 17 children. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Um, Very rare to have really large families today. Both my in-laws, my father-in-law and mother-in-law, came from large families. They were born in Tennessee. Should have checked with Diane before I uh, shared this, but I think uh, they both came from families of uh, nine and eleven. Thank you. See, I'd rather you correct me ahead of time than <laughs> afterwards. So, thank you. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they both came from large families, and uh, it, it's interesting if you know uh, if you grew up in a large family like my. I remember my father-in-law telling stories that they're at the dinner table and they, they pray. As soon as they say amen, they are like dashing for the food and the forks are flying because a lot of times they didn't have enough, enough food for everybody. And so, um, large families are, are interesting. Well, David came from a large family. Um, his father Jesse had at least 10 children. Uh, David was the youngest of eight sons. So David had seven older brothers. And I think uh, one of the things that I'm learning and realizing more and more as I get older that, boy, our our upbringing and our family dynamics um, has a huge impact on us. Uh, Dr. Kevin Lehman uh, years ago wrote a book called The Birth Order Book. Why you are the way you are is the subtitle. Here's what he has to say. This is, well, this is the, the description of the book on Amazon. A fascinating book that focuses on how birth order influences who you are, who you marry, the job you choose, and what kind of parent you will be. Well, maybe that's just a little bit of a sales pitch, but birth order, birth order, um, and the dynamics of our family makes a huge impact on us. And so David grew up um, in this very large family, and we're familiar with the story of 
and we'll get to it as we study his life, but remember when David was anointed king? Um, God had rejected Saul as king because of uh, some not very wise choices that he made. And so First um, Samuel 16, God comes to Samuel, who's the, the prophet of the nation, and he says, I want you to go to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem because I've chosen a king from Jesse's family. And so Samuel shows up and he meets Jesse and he sees his first son. His first son is named Eliab and Samuel's thinking, uh, surely this is the next king of Israel, the oldest boy in the family. And God says, nope. And then the next son comes by and uh, Samuel thinks uh, Abinadab is, is his name. And Samuel thinks, well, this, this is certainly the king. Nope. Son number three, Shammah, comes by and God says, nope. All seven sons of Jesse come by and God's saying, that's, he, finally, Samuel says, do you have any more kids? <laughs> so, one, yeah, one more, the, the youngest son. He's, he's out, you know, watching the, the sheep in the field. Bring him here. And David shows up and God says, that's the one. He's the, he's the next king of Israel. And Samuel anoints him as king. And, and so there's these seven brothers, David. We also find out later on that he had two sisters, at least, Zariah and Abigail. And so at least ten people in the family. Now, when David was anointed king, he was only a teenager. He was probably 14 to 16 years old. And it wasn't until 14 years later, when he was late 20s or maybe 30, that he actually became the king of Israel and reigned for 40 years. And so David comes from this large family. We also know a lot about David's relatives and descendants from the genealogies in the New Testament. When we go to Matthew chapter 1, it lays out all the genealogy of of David's family and Jesus. We find out that David's father was Jesse, his grandfather was Obed, his great-grandfather was was Boaz, his great-grandmother was Ruth from the book of Ruth. And of course, we also find out about his descendants, that it was through the line of David, through the lineage of David, what, that the Messiah would be born. That was the Davidic covenant. And remember that uh, David, later on in his life, he wanted to build this, this temple for God. He wanted to build a permanent dwelling for God. And God said, no, because you're a man of war, I'm going to have your son do that. But instead of having you uh, build a physical temple, guess what? I'm going to build you a lineage that will last forever. And a descendant of yours will reign on your throne forever. And that's fulfilled in Jesus. Remember how Handel's Messiah ends, and he shall reign, what, forever and ever and ever. And uh, uh, Jesus will, will be on the throne and reign in the line of David uh, for forever. In fact, Revelation twenty two sixteen. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. Jesus says, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And so David comes from this large family. Let's keep moving on here. Occupation, David was the shepherd who became king. 
He was this lowly little shepherd boy, and he ended up in God's sovereignty and providence. He ended up as the king of Israel. I love the way Psalm 78 puts it. In Psm seventy eight uh, verses seventy through seventy two uh, we read these: He referring to God, chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens from tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of God's people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance, and David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led them so uh, Psalm 78 says, God took David a shepherd boy and he took him from shepherding those sheep to shepherding an entire nation of people. So David was the shepherd who became the king of Israel. Uh, so just one little side note here about being a shepherd boy. I uh, discovered one commentator writes, during biblical times, families in the Middle East relied upon sheep to provide food, wool, and sheepskin. Because sheep were so valuable, shepherds would stay with the flock to protect them day and night. Frequently, the youngest boy in the family served as a shepherd until he grew older and can do harder manual labor. So that might explain why David, that was the culture, the youngest boy in the family uh, becomes um, the one who is shepherding the sheep. Well, David went from shepherd to king, and let's uh, conclude here, begin to conclude with um, what are some of David's hobbies, skills, and interests. And we learn a lot about David and his interests from from Scripture. Uh, First of all, just say David was an outdoorsman. (laughs) I mean, he would have spent a lot of time there in the Middle East, um, kind of alone, uh, except for the sheep, uh, out there uh, in the outdoors as uh, as the shepherd of his family's sheep. So he was an outdoorsman, at least in his early days. Uh, David was also a skilled musician. We know that about David. And we remember a little bit of the story of David's life that uh, King Saul had this troubled spirit. Some believe uh, there was some demonic oppression in his life. And he was looking for somebody that could play some, some music that would help soothe his spirit. And somebody said, I know, I know of a young boy, young man that can play the harp. And so, uh, they brought David to King Saul. This is very early on in his life. He's probably still a, a teen, uh, older teen maybe. And, um, when the, when the king would be troubled, uh, when the king would be depressed, King Saul had called for David, and David would play music on the harp, and it would soothe King Saul's spirit. So David was a skilled musician, and he was an outdoorsman. Uh, David was an author and a poet. Uh, we know that from the book of Psalms, don't we? That David wrote about half of the 150 Psalms. And so uh, he was uh, he was a poet, and he was an author, and wrote uh, the psalms that became the hymn book for the eventually for the nation of Israel. And David, as we already mentioned, David was a mighty warrior. 
First Samuel eighteen seven. We, that, that song that the, the ladies in Israel sang. Saul has killed his thousands. David's killed his ten thousands. And uh, so he was a mighty warrior, and uh, including the most famous one from First Samuel, um, took down Goliath. So that's some of David's interests, an outdoorsman, a musician, an author, and a mighty warrior, a shepherd who became king from a large family from the town of Bethlehem, and his name needs, means beloved. This morning as we close, I'd just like to spend about 10 minutes or so um, sharing some life lessons. So what, what can we learn just even from this introduction uh, into the life of David and so um, here's lesson number one. David's name, beloved, should remind us or does remind us of how much God loves us. David's name means beloved. And when we remember David's name and the meaning of David's name, it should also remind us of how much God loves us. There's a verse in John chapter 10, verse 3, and it's uh, the portion in the Gospel of John where it talks about Jesus being the good shepherd. Uh, That's an image of who Jesus is. And in John chapter 10, verse 3, we read, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He, the shepherd, calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The shepherd calls his sheep by name. And as Jesus, and he's described in Hebrews as the great shepherd, this morning I want you to know that Jesus knows your name. He knows everything about us. We might be sitting here thinking, does he really know what's going on in my life? Psalm 139 says he knows when we get up. He knows when we lay down. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're going to say before we even say it. God knows our name. He knows our struggles. He knows everything about us. And we are loved by God. All through Scripture, and um, I wrote down five or six different references here. The, the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the Roman believers, the Roman church, he calls them beloved. And in Colossians, when he writes to the church at Colossae, he calls those Colossian believers beloved. You are you are loved by God. And when he writes to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter three, and he's writing about God's love. His prayer for the Ephesian believers is that you might be able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So he's like, I want you to get an understanding of how much God loves you. And if we ever doubt it, we just need to look at the cross. God loved us so much. He sent Jesus, his only son, to go to the cross and to take our place and to be our sin bearer on the cross. Greater love has no man than this, John fifteen thirteen. Then a man laid down his life for his friends. 
And so the first lesson we want to grasp onto and hold onto and hopefully be encouraged this morning is you are loved by God. And there's a verse in the Old Testament that says our, our names are engraved in the palm of his hand. And he loves us. You know, as we go through the bumps and bruises of life, there are times where we don't maybe sense that. We don't feel maybe loved by God. But our feelings are a very bad gauge for truth and reality. And rather than following our feelings, we need to go back to the scriptures and, and uh, look at some verses and understand and embrace the love of God. Dr. David Jeremiah, pastor of Shadow Mountain Community Church in, in San Diego, California, wrote a book entitled, God Loves You. The subtitle is, He Always Has and He Always Will. And he writes, God's love for us is unending. Jeremiah says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. God's love for us is unlimited. God's love for us is unchanging. God's love for us is unconditional. It's unconditional. Now we're going to discover as we looked in the, into the life of David. And when he went down the wrong pathway, David committed adultery. David committed murder. David committed all these horrible sins. God didn't love him any less because God's love is one unconditional. And so David's name uh, reminds us, or should remind us, of how much God loves us. Uh, secondly, the second life lesson is this, that David's hometown of Bethlehem reminds us of the accuracy and trustworthiness of Scripture. So when we talked about David's hometown, uh, that it was also the hometown of uh, Boaz and the story of Ruth, and then David was born there, and then in uh, 700 BC, the prophet Micah makes this prophecy that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. And, uh, what happened? I mean, again, Bethlehem was this little, little tiny town that, uh, was not very significant. And yet, the scriptures came true, didn't they? That, that, that 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet says he's going to be born in Bethlehem, and that's exactly what happened. And Luke chapter 2 details the story. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census would be taken of the entire Roman world, and everybody had to go to the, the hometown of their, their ancestors. And so where did Mary and Joseph have to go? Well, they had to make a, a trip, and I'm trying to remember how far it was. I'm thinking it was about 90 miles, but they had to go to Bethlehem. Now, what if Caesar Augustus would have issued that decree a couple of weeks earlier? <laughs> you know, just in, from a human standpoint. Well, Mary and Joseph would not have been in Bethlehem when the baby was to be born from a human standpoint. But but God orchestrated in his sovereignty the events of human history and even the decree of a king 
to get Mary and Joseph down to Bethlehem to fulfill a prophecy 700 years before that the Messiah would be born in the town of Bethlehem. And so Galatians 4, 4 says, when the fullness of time had come, in God's perfect timing, he sent forth his son Jesus into the world. Well, when we study um, the prophecy and we just think about the town of Bethlehem and how God orchestrated all that, uh, it should make us really understand and have confidence and trustworthiness in Scripture. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, For I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. If we were to paraphrase that, Jesus is saying, Not one dotted I, not one cross T, everything in this book will come to fruition because it is the word of God and we can rely on it. And the scriptures are trustworthy. Lesson number three, two more, and then we're, we're done. Here's the third one. David's anointing as king of Israel as a teenager, as we talked about, David's anointing as king reminds us of God's priorities. Reminds us of God's priorities. And so we talked about the story how God had rejected Saul as king and he tells Samuel to go to Bethlehem and Jesse's first seven sons come in front of him. Son number one is the oldest son and, and surely Samuel's thinking this is the next king. It says in verse um, 6 of 1 Samuel 16, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. Remember, King Saul was a very tall man. Um, he was uh, one of the taller men in Israel, and that's kind of partly what appealed to the Israelites is, is King Saul's height. But he turned out to be not a very good king. It says, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at, People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Oh, David's anointing reminds us of what is important to God. And what's important to God is not our outward appearance. Well, we need to, we need to understand this because what's the emphasis of our culture? What's the emphasis of the, the advertisement? And we get bombarded uh, is, is that uh, we, we worship sometimes beauty and good looks. Did a little research here. I was going to say this maybe applies to the women, but maybe in today's age it applies to women and men. But we're talking about cosmetics in 2021. Approximately $49 billion is generated by cosmetic sales in the U.S. each year. On average, Americans spend between $244 and $313 on cosmetics every month. So they're saying that's, that's the average. Um, so 
I tell my wife not to buy those things because she has natural beauty. I say, you know, you don't need to spend money on cosmetics. But all, all that to say, you know, our culture's emphasis is what? On the exterior. And God's emphasis is on the interior. In fact, First uh, Peter chapter 3, and again, it's, it's, it's addressed to women in, in the first century. But um, here's First Peter 3. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, etc., etc. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. God's more interested what, in our character, in our inner being, what kind of person we are. And so man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, verse 12, talking about the word of God is alive and active. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of the one we have to give an account to. So it says that God, uh, what's God interested in this morning? Uh, not, you know, not the, the kind of tie that we picked out this morning or the shirt that you wore or the dress that you wore or the slacks that you wore. God's interested in the heart. And he sees our hearts. Um, about a week ago, 10 days ago, got a phone call from our uh, middle son, uh, Josh, and I've shared with some of you that uh, grandson number three, Liam, uh, is going to be facing some heart surgery here in July, and we'll tell you in the future how you can pray about that. But I uh, got a phone call mid-morning, and it was Josh, and he said, oh, say hi to Liam. I said, hi to Liam. And uh, he's in the back seat, and he's got on speakerphone. He's like, yeah, I'm coming back for my heart picture, my heart picture. Like, your heart picture? Yeah, they took a picture of my heart. And he'd been at the doctor and had the uh, echogram, I guess, or uh, I don't know what it's called. Um, and uh, he was saying, yeah, they took a picture of my heart. And my question to you this morning is, when God looks at your heart this morning, what does he see? And that's what he's interested in. And uh, that's why eventually God called David a man after God's own heart. Even though he blew it big time. Because David repented. And he confessed his sin. It took a while. It took about a year. And it took... uh, uh, the prophet Nathan pointing his finger at David, but God sees the heart. Lastly, life lesson number four, David's occupation reminds us that God uses all of life's experiences to mold, shape, and prepare us for the future. David's occupation and upbringing reminds us that God uses every experience in our life to shape and prepare and to mold us for the future. See, God doesn't waste any experience or any pain in our life. Whatever pain that we experience and go through, he wants to use that pain in our life. The theme of the book of First Peter, pain with a purpose. 
And, and he wants to, to use our experiences and our pain. Why? So uh, to prepare us for something in the future. And that in the future is that we can then minister to other people. We become more sensitive to uh, other people's pain, other people's struggles. Why? Because we've been there. And God uses all those experiences. And so here's, uh, here's David as a teenager and he's out in the shepherd fields and probably he's getting a little bored and so he picks up a slingshot and during those boring hours he begins to practice with a slingshot and becomes very proficient with a sling. And a few years later, he's bringing a lunch to his three older brothers in the Israeli army, and he hears uh, the challenge from Goliath. And we know the story, don't we? God used those lonely, boring hours to hone David's skill to take down the giant Goliath. Maybe he played his harp out there in the boring fields of the shepherd's life. And God used that to soothe King Saul and to introduce David to King Saul. Later on, we discover that David killed a bear and a lion with his own hands out watching the sheep. What was David doing while David was learning the task of being a shepherd? He was preparing him for the future. And the same is true with us. That no matter what experience, what pain, what problems we're going through, as God faithfully takes us through those problems, he's allowing us to be molded and shaped and prepared for future ministry. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles... So we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Now, if the verse stopped halfway through, it would be a great verse. God comforts us in our troubles. It means he, he wants to come alongside of us, and, and God is our refuge and strength, Psalm 46.1. But that's not just the end of it. It says, so that. Oh, there's a purpose beyond that so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Oh, so God wants to use our experiences in life, the good, the bad, and the painful, as a conduit someday so that we can help other people. And that's true in David's life. That's true in our lives. So David, his name means beloved, loved of God, and uh, I want you to know this morning uh, uh, how much God loves us. We need to be reminded of that. His hometown was Bethlehem, reminds us of the accuracy of Scripture, uh, and his anointing reminds us that God is concerned this morning, not on what we wear, not on our uh, looks, but he wants to see our heart. And he's looking for a heart that is willing to follow him and worship him. And then lastly, no matter what we're experiencing, God is preparing us for future ministry. Let's, uh, let's pray together, shall we? Lord, thank you for the life of David.
this Bible character that uh, lived 3,000 years ago, and yet we're thankful that we can um, study his life and we can learn from him. Lord, this morning, remind us, uh, and, and I'm sure there are several here that just need to be reminded again of how much you love them. Lord, may that truth uh, be deep in their hearts today. Lord, may we, as we, uh, even um, uh, after our service and fellowship together, may we be conduits of your love to other people, to hurting people that are here today. And Lord, um, I pray that as uh, you look down today, that you uh, will see our hearts and their hearts that um, are wanting to uh, worship you and are wanting to live for you. Uh, Lord, as, as David wrote, create in me a clean heart, O God. Lord, may that be our prayer today. And Lord, thank you that um, uh, our life's experiences are not random or by accident, but they're sovereignly ordained by you. And thank you that we can trust you in the good times, in the bad times, and that you are preparing us um, for future things, uh, plans to, to give us hope in a future and to prosper us. And thank you for that. So bless us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.